You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Picture this. It's the 1400s and a woman stands on the bridge of a great ship. A flurry of activity around her as ropes are tossed here and there and shouts of men fight with the roar of the sea. But she stands still and silent. Her hijab wrapped elegantly around her head, pistol on her hip, her face defiant in the wind while her skirts billow around her. She is the unrivaled queen of pirates in the Mediterranean Sea. Hello, 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 my friend, and welcome back to For the Love of History. If this is your first episode, welcome. My name is TK, and I'll be your tour guide to the past. It's 2021, and if you celebrate the new year at this time, then Happy New Year. And if you had a winter vacation, I hope it was a good one. And I also hope you're ready and in the mood for some booty, pirate booty that is, because we're talking about Saida Al-Hura, the Pirate Queen of Morocco. We also have a special guest appearance from another famous pirate, so get yourself excited for that. I am also excited because this is episode number 30. Woo! Um, I've been doing this podcast for almost a year now. It'll be a year in April, and I'm just so excited that you're here with me in episode 30, so let's have a great episode. I'm going to need you to grab a sword and your very best flowy, dramatic blouse and get your little booty ready to set sail. Let's get started. The time, the late 1400s. The place, Granada, Spain. Ferdinand and Isabella, the king and queen, were being real jerks, if you will, by continuing this thing called the Reconquista. Basically, a few hundred year campaign to make Catholicism the only religion in the world. This included forcing Muslims living in Spain to choose one of the three options. Number one, stay and convert to Christianity. Two, flee across the Mediterranean Sea to Morocco, or three, die, which are some pretty BS options, if you ask me. Granada was specifically targeted for being one of the last strongholds of Muslim power in Spain. Because of the Reconquista, hundreds and thousands of Muslims were forced from their homes Henry Kamen, author of Spain, 1469-1714, to A Society of Conflict, Spanish armies murdered and enslaved up to 100,000 Muslims and forced another 20,000 to flee. Among those 20,000 was a young girl whose real name has been lost to history, but we know her as Sayida Al-Hura. Now, the funny thing is, Alhura is not actually her name, but rather a title. So I do have to add a little side note here. I found one source that speculated about what her name was, but because I only found one source, I'm a little hesitant to use that name, so we'll refer to her as her more common name, Saida. So Saida was born around 1485 and lived a happy life of learning and love she received a first-class education and spoke several languages. Her family was quite well-off and powerful, 
but the life she knew would be cut short by the Reconquista. Her family was forced to flee to the Rif Mountains southeast of Tangier in Morocco. Her family would eventually regain their wealth, and Saida would continue her education and a semblance of her old life, but she would never forget the injustice of the Reconquista. Saida was educated by only the best. One of her teachers, Sheikh Ujdal, a prolific scholar of the time, supposedly once put his hand on her head and declared, this girl will rise high in rank. And boy howdy, was he right. When Saida was around 16 in 1510, she took her first steps towards fulfilling Ujdal's prediction by marrying Abu Hassan al-Mandari, sorry, Abu Hassan al-Mandari, who had been governor of Tetuan since 1505. Tetuan is a big city in Morocco. But being married to a powerful man did not mean that she would just turn into a little old wallflower. Oh no. After marrying Almandiri, they embarked on war against the Portuguese, and she ascended to power while also managing her husband's affairs. They were equals in power, and he very much considered her his co-governor. In fact, when he was away on business, she was the official gov- official? <laughs> the official governor in his place. But tragically, this power couple wouldn't last. Abu Hassan al-Mandari died sometime between 1515 and 1519. Whether it was her personality, her education, or a combination of both, Saida established herself as a political leader, independent of male supervision, instruction, or approval. And it was a natural progression for Saida to take the role as governor of Tetuan. And the formal title, Saida Alhura Hikmat Tetuan. Ooh, nailed it. I listened to so many pronunciation videos on YouTube. But anyways, that title translates to Sovereign Lady Governor of Tetuan. If we just look at the first part of the title, Saida Alhura, that means woman who is free and independent, which is a super, super cool name. Love it. Love everything about it. All right, TK, back to the topic. I know you're thinking, when the heck are the pirates going to come in? Good things come to those who wait, my friend. And you have been very patient, so I'll tell you. Remember when Ferdinand and Isabella enslaved up to 100,000 Muslims and forced another... 20,000 to flee? Well, Saida did too, and she played the long game. She mounted some attacks on Spain with her late husband, but Tetuan and Morocco as a whole really didn't have anything in the way of a navy or an army to protect them, and that's no good because Morocco is like all coastline. It borders two seas, for goodness sake. So, what is Saida to do? She wants to defend her city and her new country and avenge her people. And you got all that coastline to protect? There's really only one choice. Become a pirate. Mm, I got goosebumps. I've always wanted to be a pirate. My dad loves pirates. Side note about my dad. 
He loves pirates, and for the longest time, we communicated through talking about pirates. It was amazing. I loved it. Anyways, shout out to you, Dad, if you're listening. So, anyways, I digress. Saida, being the incredibly smart cookie that she was, decided to team up with a very known and established pirate. His name? Herdin Barbarossa, or to many in the West, Redbeard the Pirate. Now, this guy's pretty cool. He was born in Lesbos around 1474. He had an older brother who was also a pirate. They were lowly servant pirates for the Ottoman Empire for a while, and then they slowly moved up in reputation. One of the biggest, like, piratey things that they did was attacking the flagship of Pope Julius II in 1504. It was pretty crazy, pretty daring at that time. According to eyewitnesses, Barbarossa fought to the very last gasp of breath like a lion. Yet, he also had a soft side, and this is the part that makes me really love him so much. Between 1504 and 1510, he helped transport Muslim refugees from Spain to North Africa. This earned him the affectionate name of Baba Orj, or Father Orj, which in the European ear was misheard as Barbarossa, which happens to mean Redbeard in Italian. Ooh, language is fun. So he's rad. Am I right? Love him. And Saida thought so too. So they teamed up and they dominated the Mediterranean. They were attacking all sorts of Spanish and Portuguese ships, taking booty left and right, gold, jewels, everything. It was great. Holding people? Holding people for ransom. Together as a team, they firmly established Saida as the pirate queen of the Mediterranean Sea. As a pirate queen, Saida accomplished two things. Number one, she defended her coastal town, and number two, through all the booty, gold, and gems, and money and such that she got from raiding invading ships, she rebuilt her city. Under the governance of Saida, the city of Tetuan soon reached an unheard-of level of prosperity. Many of the pirates under the command of Saida were also Muslims who had been forced to flee Spain, so they all had a vested interest in payback and fighting off the Spanish and Portuguese. Their biggest mission was fending off the aggressive Iberians who were colonizing Morocco and at times enslaving the populations. And that made people very angry. So Saida and Barbarossa upped their pirateness. They went harder. They attacked more ships. They were more aggressive. They took more hostages and negotiated for more money. And that made Portugal and Spain very upset. Sebastian de Vargas, a royal Portuguese envoy at the time, so basically he was like a royal diplomat, characterized her as a very aggressive and bad-tempered woman above everything else. And you know what? Here in 2021, that's a compliment. I love me an aggressive woman. But that's not all the Portuguese said of her. Others prayed for God to allow them to see her hanging from a ship's mast. So you could say that the Portuguese and the Spanish were pretty salty. They were not Saida fans. 
But whether or not Saida Alhura is a bad person or a good person, whether you like her or not really depends on which end of her canon you are facing. Her people loved her for all that she had done and was doing for them. She was like the MVP of Morocco, and Saida's fame and reputation preceded her and spread all over Morocco. People were all about her, couldn't get enough, and guess who else couldn't get enough of her? The Sultan of Morocco. Ahmed Alwazi, the Sultan of Morocco, was Super Team Saida. I mean, who wouldn't be? She's the bee's knees. So Ahmed begins to woo her from his throne in Fez, which is the capital city of Morocco, and eventually asks for her hand in marriage in 1541. She accepts, but in the most bad bitch way ever. She was like, yeah, I'll marry you, but I'm staying in Tetuan, and I am not going to Fez, the place where the sultan lived. You have to come to me. And he agrees. And this is the only time in history that a Moroccan king married outside of his capital. And just for a little context, this is like if Prince Harry flew the whole royal family to Los Angeles so that he could marry Meghan Merkel. What a boss. Ooh, goosebumps again. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the look on the Queen of England's face? <laughs> If everybody just, like, packed up and flew to Los Angeles. <laughs> oh, love it. Okay, I digress. On to more serious things. Unfortunately, Saida Alhura's power was not to endure. Her on-again, off-again diplomacy and spats with the Portuguese, her son-in-law, anticipating the downfall of Saida and her government, allied with other people who were against Saida. He arrived in Tetuan in 1542 with a small army and usurped his mother-in-law. This coup is kind of shrouded in mystery, and most sources only note the year of her deposition and really nothing more. She was stripped of her power and property, and after that, she disappeared from history altogether. There are no records of her later life or really anything other than her death date. This remarkable woman, beloved queen and fierce pirate, slipped quietly and quickly from the throne until her passing on July 14, 1561. But fear not, my lovely friend. This is not the end of Saida al-Hura. And you know I would never, ever, ever leave you feeling hopeless or sad at the end of a podcast episode. So here we go with our final thought for today. Along with her husband, Saida restored the city of Tetuan. It had been destroyed in 1490 by Spanish invaders. The high walls that fortified the city were re-erected first, and then the Grand Mosque was built. After that, narrow maze-like streets were built to ward off invaders so that merchants could sell their wares safely within the walls of the city. But like I said before, Tetuan wouldn't reach its full peak until Saida was in her full pirate power. The money Saida's pirates brought home rebuilt the city walls 
even more. They built houses, they built shops, they built expensive entertainment districts. The economy was going banana sandwich. It was amazing. This once floundering area now flourished. Families who had lost everything to the Reconquista were repaid. Most of what still remains from this period is due to Saida and her efforts during her rule. And in 1997, the old city of Tetuan was designated a UNESCO World Heritage Site, in part due to the restoration work done by Saida. And without her, a place of so much culture and history would have been lost forever. Chills. Literal chills, friend. I know I may be biased, but this is one of my favorite episodes so far. I hope you enjoyed it too, and if you did and you're listening on Apple Podcasts, I would greatly appreciate a few stars or a review. If you're not listening on Apple Podcasts, maybe suggest For the Love of History to a friend or your neighbor or your second cousin that you only talk to twice a year. You guys can bond. (laughs) Or send me a message letting me know what you think. I'm always reachable on Instagram. Two little announcements, speaking of Instagram. Instead of posting the episode pictures in For the Love of History's Instagram stories, I'll be posting them in the feed so you can look for them there. Announcement number two, I have set up a little Patreon. So if you're able and you want to make a very small donation just to help me with research materials and to pay for the platforms that I use to bring you the best possible content I can, that would just be wonderful. If not, no biggie. I just really appreciate you so very much for listening to today's episode, episode 30. And I really hope 2021 is kind to you. Do something that makes you happy today, drink your water, take care of yourself, and I'll see you next next week on Friday, January 22nd, when we take a trip to the States to talk about the indigenous woman warrior who killed General Custer. Okay, bye! Why is there a metronome right now? Okay. (laughs) Okay.